0: Hello, and welcome to Fan Theory Queries, where we analyze fan theories from all over the internet, but mostly Reddit. I am Spencer. I'm Michael.
1: And I'm Blythe.
0: Blythe. Welcome back to the show. Hey, everybody. Blythe is our official fill-in for Laura.
1: Yes, very big shoes to fill. I, I am very um, glad to be here. <laughs>
0: Her, her shoes are probably about average size, but um, Laura's <laughs> a little under the weather. Her voice is a little scratchy and uh, just wouldn't sound the, the, the best. So we want to give the best product that we can here at Fan Theory Queries when we talk about fan theories. And that's what we're going to do today.
2: We have a good uh, theory to talk about today, too. So uh, this theory is about uh, Rogue One, one of my personal favorite uh, Star Wars movies. I think it's one of the best ones they've done. And this theory is from user A Quirky Soul uh, on Reddit. They say that the Battle of Scarif changed the nature of the rebellion. So, intentionally leaving the show andor out of this, though nothing so far in that show contradicts the below. However, go watch it because it's fantastic. Um, in post Disney reboot lore, the rebellion is shown to be quite a bit darker than the original trilogy and its idealistic heroes. Examples. Cassian Andor's introduction, shooting an informant to avoid the dangers of a loose end, Saw Guerrera's slow descent into paranoia after fighting the Empire for his entire adult life, and the Alliance sending Jen Urso on a mission to find her father, while giving Cassian Andor orders to kill him when he was found. It's clear this is specific partisans within the Rebellion, rather than the whole organization. For example, Cassian Andor's orders to kill Galen Urso were given quietly after the meeting by an intelligence officer, Davitz Draven, according to my research while, while writing this, and was not necessarily sanctioned by the entire rebel leadership. That being said, prior to the Battle of Scarif, the rebellion clearly has its share of spies, assassins, and other black ops assets. Pivotally, the grim realities of being a partisan in a guerrilla war and speculation, uh, a desire to to rise above the casual evil of the empire has started to weigh on Cassian Andor and many of these black ops agents which is why Cassian is able to recruit them for the mission to Scarif. Critically, the Scarif mission was aligned with the rebellion's stated values rather than the guerrilla work that had been that had previously been their only option. Successful they accomplished their goals and showed that the rebellion could achieve major victories outside Uh, terror tactics, and espionage, and completed at the cost of their entire ground team of Black Ops specialists. Suddenly, the Rebellion has a new way of waging war, appealing to idealism rather than vengeance. Not only that, they need to adjust. They just lost their most competent and trusted Black Ops agents. They've lost a chunk of their skill set while also taking the lessons of of the Rogue One team to heart. They can't just fight the Empire. How and why they fight is important, too as a result just as the original trilogy starts the rebellion aligns itself to into the gallant and heroic freedom fighters of those movies thanks for reading
0: you're welcome
2: yeah so that was a lot (laughs) that was a lot of information and it was kind of jumbled around but i think we can all kind of ascertain the overall idea behind Mm -hmm. this theory which is that prior to rogue one the rebellion wasn't scared to like really get their hands dirty and really do some shady things in order to fight the evil empire but after um the team the black ops team that we see in rogue one uh spoilers all gets killed at the end of the movie they sacrifice themselves on the mission uh to complete it then the rebellions decides they need to maybe shift their tactics a bit and be a little bit more above board with, with their operations and missions because otherwise they're becoming pretty much like the empire themselves, uh, Mm. by, uh, doing these kind of shady, slightly evil things, you know? So, Mm uh, yeah. So what do you guys think about this?
0: Uh, Blythe, go ahead. Do you have any initial thoughts? Hmm.
1: Um, well, I, I like this theory. Um, I think that, um, watching Rogue One and then, um, I know they said they're intentionally leaving out the show Andor, but, um, I think agreeing with the fact the show is fantastic and it really is setting up a lot of things that are happening in Rogue One, um, seeing the choices that have been made through, um, Andor and through Rogue One, um, and how they're there's a stark difference between that and what we saw in the original trilogy i think this Mm -hmm. is a really great explanation for that shift because um i mean this battle was pivotal um yeah to the whole plot (laughs) of what we've seen in star wars so far Um,
2: Yeah, everything that comes after this wouldn't have happened had they not succeeded. Yeah, and I just
0: love how seamless it was, like, the transition at the end of this movie. Yes. Oh, my goodness.
1: It was beautiful. New Hope. Beautiful. Beautiful.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. We go from, from, in my opinion, uh, what is hands down the best scene with Darth Vader at all in anything we've seen so far, (laughs) straight into the like you said the transition into the beginning opening scene of mm-hmm. uh a new hope and mm-hmm. that for me just like honestly if, if i didn't have the rest of the movie and just had the vader scene into the transition into a new hope i would still say that this is one of the best star wars movies. I mean, when we
0: saw that when we saw that in theaters and that happened we're like, wait a minute what what is that this is happening now yeah. What? It was yeah, so. I was cool. shocked.
2: Because Blythe yes. and I went and saw this together the first time, and mm-hmm. we were just like trying not to jump out of our seats because we were so excited at how flawlessly yes. it was done. Yeah.
0: It's, I mean, it's crazy it really was Chef's Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I've only seen this one time, so I really need to see it again. Um, yeah, we can watch. Mm. Okay. But, you know, Blythe, you have a good point about. Well, you're talking about how I haven't watched Andor either. Um, but Mm. even looking at the state of things in Obi-Wan, you know, you can see, you know, how things escalate because in Obi-Wan they're so, you know, you're uh, so scared and timid and, um, everyone's in hiding and then they slowly, Mm -hmm. I guess, you know, you look at how things are and, and, Andor, I'm assuming things start to escalate more and then you, you see where things are at in, um, in Rogue One. And I mean, if there's going to be a place where things shift, this would have to be it. Um, Now, be be just because of there's nothing else left to fill in the gaps, after Rogue One, because (laughs) we see it, that transition happened. So um, the only thing left to determine be left to really determine with this theory is if this the event this specific battle is what made that happen. Mm. rather than it just be a natural progression um from one yeah. extreme to another
2: yeah i True. agree i and honestly i my personal mm. opinion i think it uh i think it is this battle that that makes the shift um well, it's, it it is little bits and pieces of what happens throughout the movie mm-hmm. uh leading up to this battle but really uh, this this battle is the penultimate moment. This is the moment where everybody on the team, whether they'd done shady things prior to this or not, really kind of came together and started to um, show the rest of the Rebellion those idea, uh, ideals that they had learned uh, over the course of the movie mm-hmm. and it, like basically set an example for how the Rebellion should um, conduct itself in the future. So... I think that that their sacrifice was like the final, for lack of a better uh, phrase, uh, the final nail in the coffin Mm -hmm. to um, really shifting the direction that the rebellion takes. Let me ask Mm -hmm. you this,
0: and maybe you both, either of you know, are the events, are any of the events in this movie mentioned uh, chronologically after this? So I know we have all of the sequels, and then we have the Disney sequels, and then you know, of course, yeah. there are books and stuff. Are any of is any of this mentioned anywhere else?
2: So, the no, uh, I I will say that um, mm-hmm. in the original trilogy, this isn't really mentioned. There are, there are some things that are uh, hinted at, but that was kind of a retroactive. Like they knew that it was talked about like offhandedly in the original trilogy, so they wrote into this movie mm-hmm. those those things to make it like, oh, this is how it can connect. You know, gotcha. it was kind of an mm-hmm. after the fact connection. Yeah. Um okay. but prior prior to this movie being made, um, uh, no, there there wasn't really anything um connecting this to uh these wasn't, events to the original trilogy.
1: Wasn't really the only mention in like the title scroll where they um talk about what happened leading up to um episode four basically like it's just a yeah a little comment in the title scroll
2: yeah it's 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 literally a i I don't remember the exact words so don't bring me on this uh star wars fans (laughs) but it's it's essentially something like um like many lives were were sacrificed uh to uh capture these plans or whatever that Princess Leia is mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. transporting or something. It's it wasn't that exactly, but something to that effect. So it's what, almost it was like, like an offhanded mention.
0: It's almost like Rogue One as a movie is a mm-hmm. giant fan theory of yeah. someone coming along and filling in the gaps mm. of what led into the original trilogy. That's fun. That's yeah, a fun way. It to really think
2: is it. and honestly oh, that makes that. me love the movie even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yes. I think that's that's fantastic. And I think that if they had followed that same uh, uh, structure whenever Mm -hmm. making the sequel trilogy, that those movies might have been good. (laughs) You know, like they they might have actually had the same level of quality that Rogue One had Mm -hmm. if they had followed that structure.
1: Well, I mean, thinking about the quality, too, I think part of it, too, is the quality of this film of rogue one and the quality of the writing is what Mm -hmm. helped that seamless transition from you know the darker part of the rebellion to what we saw in a new hope um because if you think about it you know you kind of need to see that progression as well if you think about you know when a rebellion first ignites when it first starts Mm -hmm. you're kind of Mm -hmm. it's kind of out of desperation usually and so you kind of yeah. make those bad decisions so i like that we saw that kind of grittier darker version but then yeah. we now need something to make the original trilogy and what the rebellion was in that make sense and i think if they hadn't done um as great of a job as they did with this film i don't think that would have had that seamless transition but i also love the thought of yeah. this battle and the sacrifice of um of Andor and those people um, as kind of being like this um, symbolic, so like sacrifice the Alamo of kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The Battle of
0: Alamo. It like, really they is- didn't. Alamo, they didn't win the battle, but it, it launched. You know, it was a rallying point that really shifted yes. the the tides. But. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's cool. It, it, you really can see. You, you you did a good job of explaining it, Blythe. But like, the the progression of the rebellion of because when when you're scared, you know, you do lash out. You know, when you're scared, mm-hmm. you're backed into mm-hmm. a corner. You are messy. You are going to make mistakes. But then you get to this point, and you see what you can accomplish. Um, mm-hmm. I can see like this is a, a great place of oh look what we can look what we can actually do. You know, we can, mm-hmm. we have a sh- we actually have a shot at this thing. Yeah, and yeah, so that can also change your my- mentality of okay, well I don't have to be cornered anymore. We can we can put be smart about this and and plan these things and um, have a different approach and actually win. Mm-hmm.
2: So. yeah,
0: cool. Well, let's. Yeah. I wonder if All there right. are any good comments about this.
2: Yeah, let's uh, let's jump down and and read some of these from user Scoto. Uh, they say I like it. Uh, plus, I think Scarif was a galvanizing force for the Alliance seeing itself as a single organization instead of what it was before the mission, a disparate group of people with bones to pick with the Empire. Rogue One did a good job at showing how tenuous the Alliance actually was before Episodes 4 through 6 and how they could only achieve missions like Scarif when they were all pulling in the same direction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I think that's that kind of summarizes what we were saying. That That yeah. kind of hits it right on the head right there. Yeah, um, And I know the, the original user, uh, the OP, actually said not bringing Andor into it, but I am going to bring Andor into it for a second. Uh, without giving any spoilers or anything away, uh, we really do see in that show the what this uh, commenter said about a, a disparate group of, of people with bones to pick with the Empire. There were so mm-hmm. many different forces that hated the empire that were trying to to go against them and stuff but they weren't working together mm-hmm. at that point they were all on their they all had their own agendas while the agendas were adjacent to each other they never fully aligned mm-hmm. and so it wasn't always as successful and so yeah once once they had this mission to scarif and everybody got kind of pulled together and worked together for once it really proved that this rebellion could stand against the empire
0: yeah well, hey, you know, I, I use the example of the Alamo, but uh, Michael, look at comment from Audible Nod. Uh,
2: yeah, from Audible Nod, they say in Andor, there was a major event that was akin loosely to uh, the Boston Tea Party. A single act not intended as an initial act of open rebellion, uh, but a warning shot that they know a fight is coming if things don't change. And like the Boston Tea Party, they, they had disguises and didn't directly engage in combat. Scariff was, loosely again, Lexington and Concord. Uh, we're ready to fight, and we can prove it now going forward. Furthermore, the new proclamations about lengthening prison sentences parallels the Intolerable Acts. Uh, there won't be a one-for-one lineup with the rebels and the American patriots, I don't think, but it's a good template. I like that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good comparison.
0: Yeah, I like that. It's, it helps, you know, for people who... Maybe not have seen all of the the Star Wars stuff to fill in the blanks. It kind of helps put everything together.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so from user uh, Nate, or N-A-T-G-E-G-R-8, I'm, I'm assuming that's Nate the Great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they say, uh, I appreciate that you put effort into this, but like the movie makes this shizzle explicit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean i i guess i never really thought of it in that context like mm-hmm. i just thought it was a cool movie yeah but i never really thought about you know it's just one of those things where i never think about oh the progression of this and that especially whenever you do watch rogue one you know you didn't have andor or obi-wan or any mm-hmm. of those other things yeah so, yeah, I definitely
1: I didn't think about the um deeper thought process behind why they were doing what they were doing and how they did it. It was just like you said, it was like, "Wow, this is awesome." That's all I was mm. thinking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I just I think it was such a different experience than we had ever had up to that point with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh from just from The cinematic point of view um it was the first uh first time we got to see something that wasn't just directly influenced by george lucas and so we got to see a little bit of a different style of storytelling Mm -hmm. in this film and gareth edwards just absolute genius and Mm -hmm. he the way he approached this was was so good and he kind of set the precedent for everything that that came after, and yeah. some things some things uh, got close to that level. Some things were way off the mark. So I think mm-hmm. that if if for any future Star Wars projects that they would follow a little more closely along the lines of what Gareth was doing with Rogue One, mm-hmm. I think they'd be a lot better off. Yeah, personally,
0: uh, Michael, I think we've got time for one more.
2: So this last comment is from user BadLoss. They say, I also think the battle pushed some of the reluctant factions over the edge into open rebellion. The alliance at the start of Rogue One is really more of a dissident political faction, and they refuse to go to war because they're still hoping to work things out in the Senate. Rogue One gives Admiral Radis the excuse he needs to start a full-scale war, and after the Death Star is revealed, there's no turning back. The rebels join the war reluctantly, but once the war has started, they have no choice but to fight it out. Mm.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like so
2: that. So almost point. like
0: a putting it into Amer- or you know real history, almost not exactly, but like a Pearl Harbor kind of thing.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good comparison there.
0: Yeah, it's the excuse to join, even though they don't really want to. Mm-hmm. Cool.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I think I'm. I'm pretty much ready to rate this thing. Yes, I am. Okay, yes. cool. Um <laughs> All right, let's uh let's take a quick break and then we'll uh rate it after we get back. All right. Um Wait, 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 me...
0: wait, 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 wait. I'm going to interrupt you. Can I interrupt okay. you? Okay, Hopefully. I'm gonna interrupt you. Okay, so hey, hey everybody. Uh, we have a we have a, a Discord that we have a lot of fun discussions on. Oh yes. Like about mm. what is the best soda, whether it's Dr. Pepper or Coke or whatever. We had that discussion today. Or How But it's Dr. Dr. Pepper. <laughs> or the mm. uh, intriguing question, do you eat pickles in the movie theater? Oh, but and we also are we'll discuss theories sometimes. Or uh Get yeah. on to people for not listening to the episodes yet because <laughs> then we can't talk about <laughs> theories until they do. So anyway. Yeah, and
2: um, and sometimes we have people bring up points that we didn't think about when we were discussing a certain theory on an episode. And so we can kind of expand on what we talked about and maybe see something from a different perspective.
0: Yes, and I love it when that happens. And the reason yes. why I'm, I'm pushing this now is because in order to do that, you need to be a patron. So uh, go to uh, patreon.com slash fan theory cues and you can join that. Uh, Discord for only three dollars a month three dollars a month gets you unlimited access to that and we're really trying to push that because we would like to hire an editor to edit our episodes so we have more time to do other things like really engage in social media or pursue other extra kinds of things Um, we've gotten kind of busy and and things have shifted so we just don't have the time that we do or that we used to have Um, so any extra amount that you can head or give our way towards Patreon Uh, to join that discussion, uh, we'll go towards an editor that will free us up to do other things. I'm basically talking in circles, saying things I've already (laughs) said. I don't (laughs) think there's anything left to be said other than, Michael, tell us how we rate this theory.
2: On it. The highest rating that we have is genius. This is reserved for only the best theories, which we believe are better than the actual canon. The next step down is plausible. It's a good theory, it's believable. Unlikely is next. It's not a terrible theory, but pretty unlikely, as the name suggests. And then the last thing is preposterous. These are the theories that are just stupid. Basically, we're all dumber for having listened to them. <gasps> all right, so who wants to go first?
0: Um, I'll go first, or Blythe, do you want the honor of going first?
1: Sure. Okay. Um, Man, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. Or, I... I'll go first if you feel
0: pressure. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. You, good? you go first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Um, I mean, okay. So until that one comment, I don't know. I'm gonna. I'm still going to write this genius um, because mm-hmm. I can't see this as anything but what the theory has said. That this is what you know. This was the major shift. This is what changed the course of Star Wars. Um, yeah. You know, I was mm-hmm. hesitant a little bit when that guy was like, "Yeah, I mean, I just assumed that this is what everybody thought. They made that explicit in the movie." Um, But, you know, for me personally, um, I didn't know that. And so Mm -hmm. I'll take it as genius.
2: Nice. Blythe, what do you say?
1: Okay, I have to say I agree with you, Spencer. Um, I think the movie itself was genius. And Mm -hmm. I I agree with you whenever I first watched the movie. This was not on the forefront of my mind. Yeah. the, the thoughts that were expressed in this theory, but after having read the theory, I think that it is genius. I think that it totally, um, uh, dives into that transition from the dark, gritty rebellion that we see in these new projects that are coming out, um, kind of exploring that side of the rebellion, um, seamlessly linking it to what we all grew up watching, um, in the original trilogy and, I love that, um, that this person thought of this. So I have to say it is yes. genius.
2: Nice. Awesome. Well, so for me, this, like I said, this was always one of my, or since it came out, this has always been one of my favorite Star Wars films. And there was just something about it that, like aside from all the things we talked about, there was something about it that I just, I couldn't put my finger on that just made it so good. And that thing was this, this theory, like what they said in this theory was exactly what it was that Mm -hmm. made this so good. And not only did that, um, was this a, a shift in the movie universe of star Wars, but this was kind of a shift in the, the meta star Wars universe. Like, like I said, this, this kind of shifted the way that star Wars content was being made. Yeah. And so there's kind of a double edge to this, to this theory and both things were good. Like it, mm-hmm. it increased both things. So for me, this is definitely a hundred percent a genius theory. I think, mm-hmm. I don't know if it could get more genius than this for me. <laughs> awesome. Love it.
0: All right. Well, uh, since we've all given our ratings, we're all giving it a genius. Mm-hmm. Um, that means it's almost time to bring this episode to a close. But before we do, guys, I found something to share that is perfect, that goes great with this this theory that we discussed. Mm. Because okay. this is a fascinating movie detail uh, that you probably did not know about another Star Wars movie.
1: Okay. okay.
0: Um, so sometimes things happen in movies that you don't realize are subtle references to something else. There's like subtext or, 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 you know, like metaphors or that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. that what this, that's what this is about. So this is by uh, user SRH64. They pointed out, they, they've, they're really they've got a really sharp eye. Well, they pointed out that in Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, on seeing stormtroopers with jetpacks, C-3PO exclaims, They fly now! To which Finn asks, They fly now? To which Poe responds, "They fly now." This is a reference to how they fly now.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> oh my God.
2: Uh, awesome. Well, uh, this has been Fan Theory Queries. I'm Michael. I'm Blythe.
0: And I'm Spencer, in our next episode we ask, is the Stranger Things series actually a long drawn out D&D campaign played by adults? Subscribe to Fan Theory Queries so you don't miss out on that and other fascinating fan theories.